are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane here with you, as always, with my good buddy Rich Hill, breaking down all things Week 10 in the National Football League. Another ridiculous, nonsensical, why do we even bother trying to predict these things kind of week took place in the NFL. And I have a funny feeling that this podcast is going to have less minutes in it than the Patriots had points against the Cleveland Browns because it was an absolute beatdown. Rich, what planet am I on right now? What's going on here? I think Patriot football is back, baby. I mean, I, I so if you if you've listened to our podcast for the course of this entire season, there was a very very sad downtime uh, when the Patriots were coming off of a very bad first six games of the season. I would say, uh, you know, they were two and four at that point in time. They had a empty victory against the New York Jets in week two. They had a very hollow victory against the Houston Texans in week five, and then they lost every other game. Uh, including they fumbled the game away against the Dolphins. They made a very chicken decision against the the Buccaneers in Week 4 and also just made some very weird, uh, poor coaching decisions against the Cowboys in Week 6. And after Week 6, Alec, if you went back and listened to the tape of our conversations, we were very reasonably having conversations about, uh, are the Patriots even trying this year? They they seemed to be giving it up. Uh, but over the past four weeks, I think that the Patriots have answered our questions, and they have shifted to a whole new gear altogether. Uh, they absolutely destroyed the Cleveland Browns 45-7, to uh, and, and that was probably the best game of Patriot football we've seen since 2019, maybe even 2018. Quite possibly. really was a complete three-phases victory. Defense was stifling. Offense was so efficient. Three 90-plus-yard drives, which is unreal. Uh, it's kind of weird how Mac Jones threw for three touchdowns and less than 200 yards, but here we find ourselves. And that's without Damian Harris, the number one back. It's without Johnny Smith. So they weren't even at their full capacity. Granted, neither was Cleveland, so you got to give credit where credit is due there. But, yeah, I mean, look, this team, maybe instead of using October to round into form, as they have in years past, using November to round into form. That extra week in the NFL schedule really threw him off a little bit. But, Rich, before we get into the game itself and break that down, is there anything around the league that happened you want to particularly highlight because it was kind of a wild week in terms of the scores results? Totally. Well, okay, so what I want to emphasize is that the AFC is completely open right now. The Patriots, while they're not fully in control of their entire destiny to be the number one seed in the division, uh, or in the conference, they are absolutely in a great spot to both win the AFC East as well as get one of the top seeds because uh, everyone else kind of fell apart. The the Ravens fell to the Dolphins on Thursday Night Football, which surprised everyone. Uh, the, the Steelers tied the winless Detroit Lions 16-16. The Steelers are cooked. They are just not good. Uh, you look around the league, too. The Buccaneers lost to the then-to-win Washington football team. The Carolina Panthers absolutely destroyed the Kyler Murray-less Arizona Cardinals. Uh, and the, the Rams got uh, just completely defeated by the San Francisco 49ers and Debo Samuel on Monday Night Football. Basically, every single team that you would have expected to smoke a bad team got destroyed other than the Dallas Cowboys, who uh, will break this down more on Thursday, probably. Uh, they beat the Atlanta Falcons 43-3. to So basically across the board, the good teams lost to the bad teams uh, other than 
the also the the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. So what does that tell me? It tells me that if the Patriots can take care of business for the rest of the season, they have two games against the Bills and one game against the Titans. If they can clean all three of those games, they are in a fantastic spot to potentially be the number one seed. Rich, the term any given Sunday has never been more applicable than this season. There's really no rhyme or reason to what's going on. I don't know if there's like a best team in the AFC at all. I think the NFC is much more top heavy. You can talk about the Cowboys, the Buccaneers, despite their hiccup this past Sunday, the Rams, despite their hiccup this past Sunday. I think those teams are sort of top heavy. But after that, there's really no one in the AFC that I'm like, this is just an absolutely dominant team. So, yeah, I mean, look, the Patriots could make a run. Who knows? Uh, again, it's a lot of football to be played still. There's still a lot of games that are really important. The Bills and Titans games are rapidly approaching. The Falcons are first, of course. But before we get to all that, let's break down this game against the Cleveland Browns. I watched this game start, as we all did, and the Browns engineered that 11-play, 84-yard drive where they just ran the ball at will, went forward on fourth down, got the touchdown, and that was an ugly-looking drive. Mm -hmm. However, that would also represent the last time, A, A, the Browns, scored points the entire game and be the last time they even saw the Patriots half of the field till the third quarter. They had about 31 total yards of offense other than that one drive, which is absolutely absurd. Patriots adjusted immediately. Mac Jones was an assassin in this game. The defense was stifling. Special teams was great. Everything just totally clicked. And I don't know what's more of a statement win, Rich, this one or the charge win a couple weeks back. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're both really important wins. In particular, this one uh, was just a full team game. You know, against the game against the Chargers, it was a close one. I think that was an indication that this team still had fight left in it. I think this game against the, the Browns really indicated that this team is here to win. Uh, and, like, you look at this Patriots game, uh, they had one punt and it was to start the second half. You look at that Browns, you mentioned that they didn't sniff the Patriots side of the field until that third quarter. Uh, I believe it was actually in the uh, the the fourth quarter, and they turned it over on downs on that one. It was their second to last drive. This Browns team, for whatever reason, Darius Johnson was tearing the Patriots apart on that initial drive. Just absolutely unstoppable. The Patriots couldn't do anything about it. They were in a very very light package. They had Adrian Phillips out there to to try and cover uh, both David and Joku, but also cover Darius uh, Johnson coming out of the backfield, but. Uh, the lighter Patriots defensive front was getting gashed. And that, to me, was an indication that, oh, no, the Browns would have this all day if they put it on a certain package. Uh, and then the Patriots, you know, retaliated with a score. And then uh, Kyle Duggar got the interception on the pass targeting Njoku. And then the, they, the Browns just decided to throw the ball the rest of the way. You know, their next drive, they only had one rushing attempt, and that was uh, Johnson for one yard. Baker threw it five times on that one uh, before they had to punt. They ran only one time on that their drive after that. And by that point in time, uh, the, before they got the ball back, that was halftime. Patriots were up 24-7. to seven. Uh, And so the Patriots played this game exactly how they wanted to. Very long, meticulous drives. They avoided third downs. They were able to put points on the board. And then they were able to get the lead because this defense and the Patriots defense has always historically been built to play with a lead. And they finally had the lead that they've never been really able to have this year other than against the Jets. 
which allowed the amazingly backup second string running back, Ramondre Stevenson, to really take over the game here. 20 carries, 100 yards, two TDs, including the up an 18-yarder. He had another 14 yards on four receptions. What a game he had. Exactly the kind of play I was hoping to see out of him when the Patriots drafted him earlier this year. He doesn't go down on first contact. He rips off a couple of runs. He's got good vision. He's a one-cut guy. Uh, I'd like to give him the game ball for this one, but there's so many other players that played so well. I don't even know where to start. Like Trent Brown was back. What a monster that guy yeah. was. Maybe we should start there. Let's talk about the offensive line because if I my eyes did not deceive me, Trent Brown was out there at right tackle to start. Yep. And then they moved Owenu into right guard, and then they kept Isaiah Wynn and 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 Mason and 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 obviously David Andrews. Um, not not uh, so. What were they doing with the offensive line? We're all talking about how Owenu is a Franchise right tackle. He's the guy. What do you do with Trent Brown? Do you make him compete with Isaiah Wynn for left tackle spot? And, of course, the Patriots move right to right tackle, a winner to guard, and you really can't knock the results. Miles Garrett was an absolute non-factor. I forgot Javion Clowney was even playing in this game. So we were all talking about, oh, we looked like we had their offensive line of the future. They're set before Trent Brown came back. What do you think now? Yeah, I mean, so just as like one final thing, uh, Ted Terrace stayed at left guard. I think right. something that the Patriots decided on, and like I agree with it completely, is that I think that Onwenu is the best offensive lineman that the Patriots have. There is a valid question of what is the best offensive line combination. And you look at how Isaiah Wynn has been playing over the past three, four weeks. You look at how David Andrews has been playing over that period of time, and they've looked as good as they ever have in their entire career with Karras in between them. And they look much better now than they did at the beginning of the season with Onwenu in between them. And so while Onwenu is undeniably better than Karras in a vacuum, Karras gives them more consistency across that left side. And if I am Bill Belichick, Carmen Brasillo, I'm probably not going to move that. You know, I, I think that's the big question. And so there there leaves us the idea of, all right, Shaq Mason obviously is going to stay at right guard. What do you do at that right tackle spot? Trent Brown went out there and showed us why the Patriots wanted him back and why he was initially the starter in the first place. Uh, he was He's incredible out there. He's uh, huge, so that was great. Uh, but I, I think the big reason that the Patriots put Trent Brown at right tackle and used Onwenu as the swing lineman, where they just lined him out wide, they also subbed him in for Brown for a couple drives here and there, is because Onwenu uh, gives them more of that flexibility. He operates pretty well in space as that sixth offensive lineman. And just the way that substitutions work, uh, Brown is more likely to not be as good in space uh, if, if you had him be the sixth offensive lineman. And so if you're Bill Belichick and you want to have a, the heavy package available, you're going to have Onwenu be that sixth guy who can come on and off the field as opposed to have Brent uh, Trent Brown come on and off because you're not going to rotate within the middle of the drive. You're just going to choose your five. They're going to be there for as long as they can. Um, and so if you needed to kick Onwenu out uh, to be the one in the open space, you'd have to sub Brent, Trent Brown out for a snap. So I think that's part of it is a little bit of the strategy of wanting to have that heavy personnel available to them. Uh, but I do think that there is a very valid question of how can you keep Onwenu on the field when he is truly your best offensive lineman. Um, but Brown played so well that it kind of makes sense that you should play him too. Uh, more than anything, I think that this is the offensive line that we expected to see 
from the Patriots. We see what Ramondre Stevenson is capable of on his own. He's lost 20 pounds since his college days, and he looks a lot faster for it. Uh, he also like has the trust of Mac Jones as a receiver and a blocker in the backfield. He can do it all. Um, so very excited to see what he can do, especially behind this really solidified offensive line that went from having a lot of problems over the first six weeks of the season to having now six players that I feel pretty comfortable with lining up on a Sunday. Yeah, talk about a 180. You know, the problems they had earlier on in the year, the big problem now is their best lineman has no spot on the line. How do you get him in there? That's a pretty crazy problem to have. And I agree, but, like, it's I, it, it, it's easy to forget how freaking massive Trent Brown is until you see him in yeah. the huddle. And the ability that he has, the agility he has, the mobility, the awareness just to, like, pancake people, it uh, goes a long way to showing why Ramondre Stevenson ran as well as he did and why Mac Jones threw as well as he did. I think he only had four incompletions. One was a bat down at the line. He had that incompletion deep to Aguilar. I think one was a throwaway, and then one was a Stevenson drop. He completed every other pass. He only got sacked twice, and they were both a little bit his fault. There's a three-step drop. Wynn missed the chip block, and he got, got pancaked. But – one of his best days, three touchdowns, including an absolute laser to Kendrick yeah. Bourne for 23 yards to cap off a 99-yard drive. That is a veteran throw between two guys. It was a very narrow window. Absolutely nailed it. Good decision-making, total command of the offense. My personal favorite play of the whole game came about two minutes left in the half when they came out in a three-wide receiver package, clearly a pass. Mac Jones saw something in the defense, called an alert, Audible, a run to Ramondre Stevenson for 16 yards and a first down. That is the kind of thing I love to see out of quarterbacks that shows not only does he trust his offense to, to trust him to make the plays, but he's diagnosing the defense correctly and putting his offense in the best position to succeed. And I'm really happy what I'm seeing out of Mac Jones, especially on Sunday. Totally. Well, I think one of the things that we've been looking for from the Patriots is uh, a player to emerge, you know, right? Like we, we feel like there's been a bunch of role players on this team, but no one's been able to take over the game. And I think that the more Mac Jones is able to make adjustments and call different plays and audibles on the fly, that will allow players to take advantage of situations that they might not otherwise have had been able to earlier. And so, yeah, Ramondre Stevenson took over the game with 100 yards and two touchdowns and added in four more catches for 14. Kendrick Bourne took over this game, 141 yards and a score. That was one of the prettiest passes you'll ever see up the seam that he came down with for that score. Uh, but we would also be remiss not to talk about Jacoby Myers getting his first touchdown. Hunter Henry scoring two touchdowns. Hey! And Nikhil Harry, for, you know, all of the grief that he is given for, you know, obviously not living up to the expectations of being a first-round pick, obviously not producing like you would want from a first-round wide receiver. You would want them to be more than just a blocker. But my goodness, did you watch those highlight reels of how he was blocking Miles Garrett on Sunday? My yeah. goodness, he was laying Miles Garrett out multiple times. And I, I think, I, and I want to really emphasize this, Nikhil Harry gives the Patriots an element at wide receiver that not a lot of teams have. And in particular, uh, the reason why I'm not, I'm not trying to justify the first round kind of pick there, but... Uh, the fact that he is a wide receiver forces the opposing team to put a cornerback out there. But the fact that he blocks like a tight end means that the opposing team will be forced into a lighter defensive package, and then you'll have Harry able to take out a defensive freaking lineman so Ramondre Stevenson can have more room to operate. That is a matchup piece. Uh, obviously, maybe the future for Harry is at tight end. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. We talked about it earlier in the year. Um, but... 
honestly, Harry had a few of those key, like, you'll see it in the highlight reel uh, and not realize it in the box score sort of production. Yes, you do not draft a wide receiver thinking that guy is going to be one hell of a blocker. However, a blocking wide receiver is a position that Belichick has always coveted. The vast majority of Patriots wide receivers who've had success in this system are also very good blockers. See Dion Branch, great example. David Gibbons, also a great blocking wide receiver. I would love to see him catch more than one pass a game. But yeah, I mean, he had probably his best game as a Patriot overall, given the blocking packages he's 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 in on. And it's awesome to see. Uh, and it's not really necessarily that big a deal because, again, Jacoby Myers, Rich, he got in the end zone. Oh, yeah. What an awesome thing to see. The entire bench cleared for that um, when they all ran down there. I mean, it was more of a – you can't be choosers if you're gone that long without getting in the end zone. But I wish it wasn't like a garbage time touchdown from Brian Hoyer. But, hey, <laughs> I'll take it. What's crazy about this is Brian Hoyer actually had – I think more yards on one drive than like Case Keenum did on our another another drives he had. There's an absolute beatdown. I think my X factor in our last podcast was Kendrick Bourne, Rich. So yep. good for me. Finally, get even though I picked the Browns to win the game. So I guess I, it kind of cancels out there. But you look <laughs> at how many Patriots caught a pass. Aguilar, Stevenson, Harry, Hunter Henry, Brandon Bolden had three. Another big game from Brandon Bolden. Myers, Kendrick Bourne. They're still spreading the ball around. This was a victory. I think if you are looking around other teams watching the Patriots play, as of right now, as the Patriots sit at 6-4, and four, and I believe they're the sixth seed in the National Football League, yep. so they are in the playoffs as of now. They control their playoff destiny. This is not a team I think I would want to face anytime soon. No, definitely not. I feel like they are probably – for lack of a better term, the scariest team in the AFC, right? I, I would say you look up and down, the Bills are probably the favorite. If, if you had to choose a team right now to win the AFC, it would probably be the Bills. They rank number one on defense in the entire league and number two in offense. So, like, reasonably they're the favorite. They're currently in first place in the AFC East. Uh, I believe they're the number two seed right now behind only the Titans. Um, but I, I would say that the the Bills would be your favorite team just because of how many injuries the Titans are continuing to suffer. But if there was a team that you would expect to be like, oh, no, oh, no, the, they're back, it's absolutely the Patriots. I, I think that the Patriots have the chance to beat almost any team, uh, especially because uh, the Chiefs are, you know, they had a good game against the Raiders, but they've been looking a little bit aimless. And so for the Patriots to seem so focused over the past four weeks, uh, for them to beat a very good team in the Browns, I, we can't understate that. The Browns were 5-4, and four, uh, but they absolutely have been a, a quality team this year. For the Patriots to come out and beat them 45-7, to seven, and for that to not fully encapsulate how great the Patriots' victory was, and we can talk about how the Patriots' defense stifled the Browns' offense, uh, I, I think it's absolutely fair to say that no team wants to play the Patriots in the playoffs. And one of the big reasons why that is, Rich, is I feel almost bad for mentioning it in my, my article this week. I, I would feel bad for him because I feel like in any other year, we'd be talking a lot more about this kid, and that's Christian Barmore. Yes. Um, I mean... If it wasn't for Mac Jones doing Mac Jones things, he would be the, the steal of the draft, in my opinion. The Pages moved up to get him. He is a second rounder that is playing like a third-year veteran. They're starting to honestly game plan their packages around Barmore. And I think Matthew Judon is having the season he's having already tied his career high. We're still only at week 10 for sacks, largely because of the interior pressure Barmore is getting, the, the assignments that they need to dedicate to him on the offensive line for the opponent. And what he kind of brings to the table, I'm just so impressed with this kid. And I feel like in different 
a time and place, he'd be a much bigger hero in New England. Oh, totally. I completely agree. I, I think, okay, the, the way that the Patriots have been using Barmore is effectively as a replacement for Adam Butler. And so they've been using him primarily as a passing down defensive tackle. And this fact that the Patriots had such a big lead meant that Barmore got to see a lot of playing time. But I completely agree with you. There's something about these Alabama kids that they're already veterans when they enter the league. They know how to do it. Um, and they're doing it extremely well. And they're continuing to improve for all of the advantages advancements that Mac Jones has made on offense, Christian Barmore has absolutely made strides on defense. And it's so clear to me that Bill Belichick was super intentional about making investments in their defensive front seven because last year they were awful. They couldn't stop a nosebleed. They were so bad in the defensive front seven. And you look at what has happened this year with Dante Hightower coming back from uh, the COVID list means that Bentley has been able to take a step forward at the linebacker spot. You see Kyle Van Noy being versatile on the outside, and he's finally healthy, and he's playing extremely well. Matt Judon, Barmore, as you mentioned, Devon Godshaw. These are all players that have been outstanding and very integral members of the Patriots' defensive front, where, yes, they did not have a great opening drive, but once the Patriots were in the driver's seat, there was nothing that the Browns could do to move the ball whatsoever until garbage time. And that was because the Patriots at all levels are playing like uh, the second best defense in the entire league, which they are. There's a name you didn't mention on that little rundown, Rich, that I have to talk about because it wouldn't be a podcast until Alex Shane says something negative about this team. Um, where, the <laughs> hell is jo- where the hell has Josh Uche been? Yeah, I feel like he hasn't really done much. He had such flashes his rookie season. We all expected him to make a really big leap coming into his sophomore year. Really hasn't shown up or delivered. Now, it may just be playing time because other guys are playing so well. He's had limited action. But I feel like we haven't really mentioned his name at all unless he's, like, missing a fumble recovery. Still no clue how he missed that fumble recovery. But I was really hoping to see more out of him this year, and it's not really happening for me. Yeah, it's like the same sort of thing happened with Chase Winovich, where it's like they they had so much potential. You see a very defined role, and then – it doesn't happen. Uh, it just kind of fades away. Um, and I feel like that's where we are with Uche as well, um, where the Patriots have intentionally been like, you're going to be our passing down pass rusher, and that's how you're going to be utilized. And I think with Uche, he, I think he suffered an ankle injury, to be honest. He's on the injury report uh, as of uh, the air quote Monday one without an actual practice. But that was what they would have designated as a did not practice with an ankle injury. So that definitely affected it. But Mike Reese of ESPN did a pretty good breakdown of of some of Uche's snaps where he did not do what Bill Belichick was hoping. You know, there's a flag thrown uh, for an offsides on third and nine uh, and then missing that fumble. There's just some pretty solid fundamental things that you would like, like to see from a player like Josh Uche in order for him to earn more playing time. And in the same way that Chase Winovich didn't, hasn't earned more playing time because the Patriots don't like uh, or, or don't feel like he provides the consistency they need off of the edge against the run. I think with Uche, he needs to be able to make all of those very basic plays and make none of those mental errors uh, before the Patriots trust giving him more time over players like, you know, the uh, uh, Dietrich Wise. You know, like Dietrich Wise is definitely not as like talented of an upside of a player when you compare him to Uche. But the Patriots love him because he can fill in his role and he does it well and he doesn't make mistakes. You know, a sack and a half, another quarterback hit, four tackles and a forced fumble. That was just a very uh, human's day from Dietrich Wise. Uh, And that's the kind of effort that the Patriots need to see from Uche before they'll give him more time. 
Well, hopefully we'll see that because, again, I, I thought Uche was my favorite pick of the draft when he got selected. I really thought it was a steal and he would be a, a force kind of like Jamie Collins 2.0, who's on IR right now, but it just hasn't quite panned out. But again, that's okay because the Patriots are playing as well as they have all season. Very short week coming up, Rich Hill. I know we're going to break down the Falcons game on Thursday, but just kind of give like a Thursday preview. I'm very concerned about this game for two reasons and two reasons only. Obviously, the Falcons got absolutely spanked by the Cowboys in the past with the Cowboys to overtime. So the way things translate, the Patriots should beat the Cowboys, uh, the Falcons, excuse me. However, A, nothing makes any sense this season as we're seeing over and over again. And bad teams beat good teams all the time. And two, Thursday night football was always a complete disaster because teams don't have time <laughs> to prepare or rest or get healthy. And it's a rookie quarterback doing his first Thursday game. And... Anything kind of goes. So any initial early kind of thoughts about this Thursday night matchup and any concerns you might have? Yeah, uh, this Falcons team is very bad. I think it's it's fair to lead this off. They have four wins this year. They've all been by one score. Three of them have been by three or fewer points. They have a two-point victory over the Dolphins, a two-point victory over the Saints, and a three-point victory over the Giants. Somehow, uh, all on the road. Just like the Patriots, um, the, the the Falcons have one win at home this year, uh, and it's against the New York Jets. So uh, sounds kind of familiar, uh, but Matt Ryan is, you know, for my money, one of the best quarterbacks of the past two decades. Uh, but he will be without a lot of talent. Cordero Patterson is likely to miss the game with a high ankle sprain. We will monitor that this week. Um, but with him out and Calvin Ridley on the reserves, their offense is basically Kyle Pitts and a bunch of question marks. Their top running back is Mike Davis. They have three wide receivers that you might have only heard of Tajay Sharp because he played for the Titans and went to UMass. Uh, but the other players, you're likely not to have heard of. And so this is a game where the Patriots are a very superior team on paper. But as you said, anything can go on Thursday night. So if my mind, if the Patriots can take care of business against Falcons, move to 7-4, and four, then they will be in fantastic spot to to kind of secure a playoff spot before the end of the year, uh, before their final two weeks, but also position them well to keep pace with the Bills. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is an absolute must-win game. This is as close to a must-win game as you can get without being a must-win game because the Titans and the Bills are coming around the corner. I believe they pay the Bills twice in three weeks or something along those lines with a very late Week 14 bye. So it's going to be really important the Patriots have a good week of practice, have strong meetings, this game behind us, not ride the momentum and not take it too lightly. Because sometimes I know Patriots teams don't really do this historically, but when you've got a team like the Falcons and then the mini buy coming up and then the bill or the Titans around the corner, it is very easy to overlook that and get to that buy. So hopefully Belichick keeps disciplined and they have a good week of practice or a good day and a half of practice because Thursday night is a ridiculous thing and they come out with a big win. Uh, totally. And it should be hopefully one of those fun games where the Patriots have it secured. You can go to bed early uh, and confident. So we will break this down, though, on Thursday when kind of the injury report and things are a little bit more cleared up for us. Um, but, Alec, do you have any final thoughts on week 10 of the NFL season? That should do it for me, buddy. All right. Well, until next time, Alec, you have a good one. You too, man. See ya. Later.